Brought to you by the WZIP Sports Team, this is Sports Power Talk Overtime. Featuring in-depth interviews. I didn't really plan to ask this, but since you brought it up, what's it like kind of having like your own meme? Like how does that make you feel? <laughs> Exclusive original content. He crosses paths with another best in the world. Oh, that gets you excited, don't it? Oh, that gets me excited. And of course, the hottest takes. My dad used to have this saying, if you don't like the series, you don't like football. Over well, I say I'm a pretty big football fan, and I despise the Steelers. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so get ready, because it's time for SPT Overtime. It is overtime for the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sports Power Talk Overtime. I'm Jake Murren, and I'm joined by Alex Henry. Hey, what's up, everybody? And today we are here to talk about the last UFC pay-per-view of the year in what has been an insane 2022 of fights. While changes were made to this card, it's still considered to be one of the deepest cards that the UFC has offered all year. Of course, I'm talking about UFC 282, Blahovich versus Ankalaev for the vacant lightweight title. Before we break down and predict the entire main card for this Saturday's event, Alex, I have to ask you, what do you think of UFC 282? I think it leaves a lot to be desired in terms of the main event, but as I said, it's super deep with a ton of great fighters. No, there absolutely is. Uh, even to the prelims, Chris Curtis, I believe. Ohio legend Chris um, Curtis. Chris Dawkins is on there somewhere, I think. Uh, there's a lot. I mean, yes, it is very, very deep. And uh, I think we all wanted to see Yuri Glover. At least I know I did. Um, but because of circumstances, it couldn't happen. Obviously, Glover didn't want to fight um, Magomed and... This is what we get now. So, I mean, as for the main card and co-main, this is pretty weak. But uh, the actual card for the um, UFC fan, I mean, this is a great card. Yeah, if you look at the early prelims and prelims, you got guys like Jarzino Rosenstrike on there, Raul Rosas Jr., that young kid from Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, I love watching Billy Quarantello fight as well. Mm-hmm. I know Alexander Gustafsson is on the mm-hmm. latter part of his career, but he is fighting this Saturday. So a bunch of entertaining fighters that's got something for everybody. But as I said with UFC pay-per-views, you know, those top three fights are usually must-see TV. Not that way with UFC 282, but if you are a diehard UFC fan, it is a card that you'll want to watch. And for this podcast, there is going to be a bit of a twist at the end of this podcast. Alex doesn't even know what it is, so you'll want to listen to the end for that. I got a little something up my sleeve, and yes, it does have to do with our current rankings. Just a little bit of a tease there, but let's get right into the UFC 282 main card, and we'll start it with the main card opener between Bryce Thug Nasty Mitchell and Ilya El Matador Toporia. Who do you like? Well, Jake, you know I like Thug Nasty. Greatest rapper. Your your fandom (laughs) of Bryce Mitchell, man, makes no sense to me. You love him. He's a hillbilly rapper that wrestles in his farm in Arkansas. It's awesome. That's just why I love him. But um, from a stylistic, I mean, standpoint, he's a wrestler. And he will shoot. And if he misses, he will reshoot. And if he misses, he will reshoot. And he looks to get you to the ground. He think he, I think he averages a little over three takedowns a fight. And he also has pretty good submissions, too, which is a very underrated part of his game. And you got to think it shouldn't be, right, for a guy who just wants to keep his fights on the ground. Uh, but that's Bryce Mitchell. Looking at Tuporia, though. 
great striker, has some of the best power in the featherweight division, in my opinion. Uh, he also averages over three takedowns a fight. He can wrestle her, but in his earlier in his earlier fights, we've seen him wrestle more. More recently, he's been kind of a KO artist. Uh, I forget what the stat is, but I know he's had quite a bit of knockouts recently. And I think that Bryce has proven to be a dominant wrestler in the cage. He's one of my favorite fighters in the UFC, but I'm an analyst. I want to pick the people that I think are going to win. And uh, I don't see Thug Nasty winning here. I think he's going to get his zero taken. I, I think it's kind of obvious that Tuporia is a better overall cage fighter. He's better striker. I don't, I'm don't. i not going to say he's a way better wrestler, but I think he's a more proven wrestler than Bryce Mitchell is. Um, I don't know. It, it kind of breaks my heart. I've had to bet against my favorites recently. I bet against Molly uh, McCain recently in another podcast I did, and she's my favorite female fighter. But, um, yeah, I, I don't see Bryce Thug Nasty taking it here. He's still the best rapper in UFC, though. So, Best rapper in UFC history? Yeah. Confirmed? 100%. But you're going with Taporia. That shocks me out of you, man. It does shock me. No bias, Jake. I yeah. keep, I try to keep the Good bias point. out, except Charles Oliver. I'll always bet against Charles Oliver. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> For my breakdown, Mitchell, he has nine wins by submission, eight first-round submissions, and is on a six-fight winning streak. His last fight, of course, was that dominant decision win over Edson Barbosa at UFC 272 in March. When I say Mitchell dominated that fight, I mean he literally dominated that fight. I feel like a fool for picking Barbosa prior to that fight, and Mitchell landed 159 more strikes than Barbosa, and Mitchell landed four takedowns and a knockdown in the fight as well. I was worried about the inactivity of Mitchell, and he proved everyone wrong that was questioning Thug Nasty. He came back and looked even better than he ever has in the octagon. He does have an average fight time of 13-13 because of his wrestling background. Occasionally, he's able to find a limb to submit his opponent, and I was even surprised to see that he only averages 3.4 takedowns per 15 minutes of cage time. If anything, though, that proves his ability to keep his opponents on the canvas. For the German Taporia, he's 12-0. He was originally supposed to fight the last opponent of Bryce Mitchell in Edson Barbosa in late October. But instead, Tapuria gets an even further step up in competition with Thug Nasty. He has four wins by KO, seven wins by submission, and nine first-round submissions. He has a brilliant background in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And in his last fight, it was a second-round KO over Jai Herbert on the March card in London. Tapuria was actually outstruck in that fight, but he landed an impressive takedown in the first round. And it only took him eight strikes in round two to get his third knockout in a row in the UFC. Alex, Ilya Taporia is a special fighter. He is so well-balanced and can take the fight to the ground as he averages over three takedowns per 15 minutes of cage time himself, but he's also recently shown off his power with emphatic knockouts that has really put his name on the map and in the minds of UFC fans. I could honestly see this fight going either way. This is one of those true 50-50 coin flip fights in my mm -hmm. mind that I can see either fighting either fighter using their game plan to find success. Call me crazy, Alex, but I'm actually agreeing with you. I'm going against Thug Nasty. Once again, I thought you were going to go with Thug Nasty. He only has a 33% takedown defense, so I could actually see Taporia looking for takedowns, but I ultimately like Mitchell's chances on the ground, whether he is on top or on the bottom. I could see Bryce wrestle Ilya out to a decision, but Taporia's takedown defense literally could not statistically be any better at 100%. 
if Taporia gets it done, I think it has to be via knockout, and that's the direction I'm going to kick off UFC 282. Yeah, a couple things. Um, first off, you mentioned Mitchell's fight versus Barboza. I would say if you're listening and you're a UFC person who doesn't wa- like enjoy watching wrestling in a fight and you don't want to watch like an, a Nurmagomedov fight to like get into it, that last mi- match with Bryce Mitchell was just dominant wrestling for 15 minutes. That's literally all it was. It was probably the most dominant wrestling performance I've watched in my two years of being a UFC fan. Uh, and as for uh, Tuporia, I looked up four knockouts since last five. So, I mean, like, like I said, dude's been like really showing his power and it's just another reason where when you know, he's got that power, it's way more than Bryce Mitchell and he can wrestle like he has in the past. It, it's hard to pick against him for me. So, yeah. And he, I agree with your statement that he might have like the strongest hands in, in that featherweight division. Yeah. I mean, you look at guys like, um, Holloway, Volkanovsky, sure. They're, great strikers better strikers by all means but yeah. their power like he Tupori is knocking knocking people out now they're kind of no names in a sense but power is power yeah those max holloways even arnold allens yeah. calvin cater like those guys are known for their technique Ilya Tuporia has the power in his in his hands in his punches can knock out anybody that's how i see ufc 282 Kicking off, going to the second fight, though, we have Darren the Gorilla Till taking on Drickus Stillnox Duplessis. Till, 18-4-1, has 10 wins by KO, 2 wins by submission, and 6 wins by decision for the South African in Duplessis. He's 17-2, 7 wins by KO, 9 wins by submission, and is on a 5-fight winning streak. Alex, who do you got? Yeah, Darren Till has lost 4. Out of his last five fights, only win coming in a close split decision win over Kevin Gaslam, which was around three years ago. Um, as for his style, he's a great striker. He stays in the pocket like a boxer, but strikes like a kickboxer. And I wrote in my notes, sort of like Piotr Jan, but also not really. Uh, all I mean by that is they, they fight very differently, but in terms of how he likes to stay in the pocket like a boxer, but kicks like a kickboxer, it's very much like Piotr Jan-esque. Uh, and I think that's really cool for Till. Uh, Drickus, also a very exciting fighter. He's got really good kicks and really good cardio. And he mainly proved that in his last fight. Um, Jake, I think Darren Till is a better fighter if he's ready to get in the cage. He's lost to big names. His his four losses are Derek Brunson, Robert Whitaker, Tyron Woodley, and uh, George, or how he's supposed to be called, Jorge Masvidal. Um, mind you, he was really young at the sport in that time when he uh, took some of those losses. Um, Drickus does land 6.55 strikes per minute. And that stat kind of worried me when I looked at it. But he, number one, he's kind of fought a couple cans. And two, he comes in, and I'm not going to say bull rush brawls, but he's a very step forward throw with a lot of volume kind of striker. And it's almost loose sometimes. So stylistically for Darren Till, he should be able to, like I said, stay in the pocket, defend shots, and maybe make a couple hits. So I, I, I really, first off, I really don't like Darren Till as a person, as a fighter. I'm not a fan of him in real life. It's very weird because I'm you know picking against my favorites and picking people I don't like too. So, but I'm gonna go with Darren Till here. Um, that might be kind of. Silly, we might look back on that and people might say, you know, why did Alex pick Darren Till? That was, I don't know what the odds are, but I know Darren Till has lost a lot. 
makes sense. But I think stylistically, looking at the fights, I'm going to take Darren Till here, Jake. That's interesting. Darren Till is the plus 140 underdog, Duplessis the minus 165 favorite in this fight. Uh, for me, though, Till, he has a negative striking differential in his career. He doesn't like to take the fight to the ground. But mm-hmm. his background in Muay Thai, like you mentioned, kind of Piotr Jan-esque, also helps him stay on the feet. He has won one of his last five fights, like you mentioned, and that one win was via split decision in 2019 against Kelvin Gastelum. Before those last five fights, Till was 17-0-1 to start his professional career. He looked like he could beat anybody in the cage, and he looked like the second coming of his other Englishman in Michael Bisping. Of course, injuries along the way have derailed the hype train of Darren the Gorilla Till, but I'm still excited to see him at what will hopefully be as close to 100% this Saturday against Duplessis. For Duplessis, his last fight was a decision win over Brad Tavares at UFC 276. It looks like Duplessis was getting tired as the fight went on, but then he landed an insane 61 significant strikes on Tavares in round three to seal the unanimous decision win. Duplessis is still relatively new to the UFC, just 3-0, but he is the definition of a prize fighter, in my opinion. He came into the promotion with two stunning knockouts and then had a great decision win over Tavares in his last fight. His takedown defense is at 100%. He lands nearly seven significant strikes per minute in the cage. I mean, this guy can really do it all, and he does it all in impressive fashion in the cage. The only thing I'm worried about when it comes to to Duplessis is his cardio and his lack of experience in the UFC. Hmm. We can talk about how Darren Till hasn't fought well in over four years, but we know he has a gas tank and has a ton of UFC experience. For me, that's not enough to give this one to Till, though. Duplessis, I think, is too strong, too skilled, too powerful on the feet, and I see the South African winning here by knockout or decision. We have our first disagreement, Alex. Yeah, and honestly, Jake, I might disagree with you. I think Duplessis' cardio looks really good. I mean, sure, he might be sloppy in his later rounds in the fight, but I think that could be said for a lot of fighters with good cardio. Um, when I you know, when I judge good cardio by an MMA fighter, it's can you still have output in the later rounds, and I've seen that recently. So, I mean, that's only to help your point. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't say, like, you know, that's a bad pick at all. It makes a lot of sense to go with him. I just think stylistically, if Darren Till is the Darren Till, if he's sweet Caroline, Darren Till coming out, getting the crowd on his back, and he's in there ready to fight, train, he train, fought a full training camp, he's ready to go, I can't see him winning. And I think he should win, but we'll see. And to your point, I don't think Drickus Duplessis has fought anybody to the caliber of Darren Till. I mean, there's an argument to be said that, you know, maybe um, – Duplessis would probably lose to, like, all of the guys that, um, wow, Darren Till has fought. He'd probably right. lose to all the same guys. Um, maybe except um, Tyron Woodley, because Tyron Woodley was kind of at the later end of his career when that fight happened, and that was like, he started losing quickly after, so, but yeah. Yeah, I think Stolax Duplessis is a special fighter in the middleweight division. He's ranked 13th, Darren Till ranked 9th. I see him picking up that win and climbing those middleweight rankings in a division that is completely wide open now. So we'll see how the middleweight division shapes up after UFC 282. Moving on from that fight, let's go to this next one. And I think you know how I feel about one of these fighters in this fight. It's ruthless Robbie Lawler, the plus 320 underdog, taking on Santiago, the Argentine dagger Ponzinibbio. 
Alex, before I roast one of these fighters, uh, give me your breakdown and your prediction. Mm, I wonder who that fighter is going to be. I I have no clue. I'm looking forward to hearing it, Jake. But, uh, yeah, I'll give you my breakdown. Uh, Santiago, very fun, diverse striker. And uh, just total off-topic, Jake, I was looking at some fights of his getting ready for you know my research. Dude's got some mean cauliflower ear. Like, in both of his – because he's got big ears to begin with. But then his ears, massive cauliflower ear. So I just want to say, if you're a wrestler out there, wear your headgear. I always – I've wrestled 10-plus years. Always wear my headgear. I have nice ears. I somehow thought ears were not going to come into uh, <laughs> this breakdown here, Alex, but I appreciate Bro's it. Bro's got some puffy ears. And I'm, you can you can fix it. You can get it. I mean, it, it's painful, I've heard. But you can't. Isn't fix it like getting it drained? You get it and drained. Then, like you put. Ugh. It's, a, it's like a pimple almost. Anyway, I'll, I'll move yeah, on. That's a great sight. But I, I just wanted to say, wear your headgear if you're, if you're a wrestler. I always wear my headgear. Practice, you know, in a match, wear your headgear. Um, but what was I? Um, diverse striker, very fun to watch. Um, he's looked really good in his fights. He keeps a good jab and leg kicks um, to kind of maintain distance and then kind of attacks, sort of like an Israel Adesanya. Definitely not as good as striker as Israel Adesanya, but in the sense that he checks distance well and um, he'll eventually go look for the bigger shots. Uh, Robbie Lawler, dude's a street fighter with a UFC contract is what I put in my notes. Um, he does have pretty good power, but he's just looked bad in his fights recently. His cardio isn't good. His chin is weak. Um, Santiago has good defense. He checks range well. I think he should win this fight. I don't even think it should be close. And hopefully, Jake, for your sake, Robbie Lawler will be sent into retirement after this fight. So, Yeah, that's kind of where I'm getting at. <laughs> uh, when predicting Robbie Lawler's last fight in a podcast that we were on, Alex, for UFC 276, this is exactly what I had written down in my notes for that fight against Brian Bam Bam Barberina. Word for word, he is completely washed, shouldn't fight anymore, and simply can't compete with today's fighters at the age of 40 years old. Yeah. Word for word, that's what I wrote. Was I wrong, Alex? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I know I sound harsh when <laughs> speaking about Robbie Lawler, but I don't think he is ruthless Robbie Lawler anymore. He is a legend. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to disrespect the legend, but right now, he's so far separated from those legendary status fights against Carlos Condit and Rory McDonald back in the day. He's now 14-10 and 10 in the UFC, and his last win was a pitiful knockout of Nick Diaz, and his last legitimate win before that was over Donald Cowboy Cerrone in 2017. He has skills. He is agile in the cage. He may possess some power, but I'd like to see him retire potentially more than Tony Ferguson at this point. And whenever you say Tony Ferguson, what do you usually say, Alex? Tony plays retire Ferguson. <laughs> yeah, I, I more so apply that to Robbie Lawler here. Talking about the Argentine dagger, though, Ponzinibbio, 15 wins by KO, 6 wins by submission, 14 first-round finishes. His last fight was a split-decision loss to Michel Pajeda in May. That fight was close for all 15 minutes, and you could really make the case for either guy to win. This is the first time that Ponzinibbio has come off back-to-back -back losses in his 35-fight career, and both losses have come via split decision. He's known as a striker. He lands five significant strikes per minute. He doesn't like to take the fight to the ground, mm -hmm. and he also isn't easy to take down either. Both guys have an average fight time of over 10 minutes, so normally I would go with the winner of this fight by decision with that in mind, but it's no surprise that I'm going with the Argentine dagger to win this one by knockout. I expect it to be 
an easy night for Ponzinibbio with that knockout coming in the first, maybe the second round this Saturday night in Las Vegas. What I'm really rooting for, though, is for the legend Robbie Lawler to lay down his gloves in the middle of the octagon after the fight and say farewell to the sport that built him up. I 100% agree, Jake. I think, like, he lost to Ben Askren, right? And that was, like, four years ago. And I think he just can't get over the fact that he lost to Ben Askren. But mind you, not discrediting Ben Askren. One of the best, you know, MMA fighters before he got into the UFC of all time. You have his signed book. I have his autographed book. A big fan of Ben Askren. But Robbie Lawler should have been able to beat Ben Askren. And he lost dominantly to him. And that was three years ago, Jake. So... Dude definitely needs to retire. And also, I, f- I don't want to get into the mindset where I'm discrediting Santiago. He- sure, he's on the tail end of his career, but he has a lot of fighting experience. He's very good. He's probably got at least two, three more years of fighting left in him, uh, considering how the UFC has been giving him the-, the matches. If they keep making him matches that are pretty good for him, uh, then I think he can keep going a-, a while. He's no contender in my eyes, but uh, he should be able to beat Robbie Lawler and like you said, Jake, maybe he'll retire. Maybe. The one thing I hate most about this fight, Alex, is that it's the third fight on the main card Yeah. of UFC 282. Why? I don't understand it. The two fights we just talked about, Till, Duplessis, Mitchell, Taporia, those fights should be ahead of this fight. There's even a fight on the early prelims I'd rather see. Billy Quarantello is a very entertaining fighter. I'd rather see him on UFC 282 main card than the early prelims. Yeah. Chris Curtis, Buckley, like, that is an amazing fight. That's a fire fight. And that's the prelim opener? Yeah. And then you have Robbie Lawler, Santiago Ponzinibbio on the main card. It makes no sense to me, the placement of this fight. Am I being too harsh, man? Absolutely I being too harsh? not. I mean, this card couldn't have even, this fight shouldn't have even been on the main card of last weekend's fight night. Like, yeah. it's really just, I don't care. I'll probably get up, use the restroom, get something to drink, grab a slice of za, you know, something during this fight because I, I don't care about it at all. Did you just say slice of za? Oh, za. I'm coming back from New York City, Jake. I, uh, oh, is that what they say in New York City? Yeah, give me a slice of za. Okay. <laughs> no discredit of Robbie Lawler. I don't want people to come at me and say he's a legend. I understand he's a, re- he's, is is a he, legend. Is he even- What's he a legend for, though? He's honestly. had insane fights, man. Sure, but he, like he was ruthless, Robbie Lawler back in the day. Just, just not anymore, man. I think he's overrated personally. Sixteen losses is quite a bit to oh. be considered a legend in Alex Henry's book. Well, you hear that, everybody? Go after Alex Henry and not me when there it comes to uh, those Robbie Lawler stands. I mean, I there. like his fights. I like watching his fights. Yeah, you know? not recently. No, I don't. Yeah, I don't care. Well, let's go to the co-main <laughs> event. A much more entertaining fight and a co-main event that's. You know, doesn't really serve as a co-main event on other pay-per-views, but it is a co-main event here. It is Paddy the Batty Pimblet himself back in action against Jared Flash Gordon. A lightweight matchup here. Pimblet, of course, bursting onto the scene in the UFC. Jared Gordon trying to defuse that hype train of Paddy Pimblet. Alex, the Batty versus Flash. What you got? Jake, I've been waiting for the day, waiting very patiently for the day that you and I would get to discuss Patty Pimplett because he is also one of my favorite fighters. His pay-per-view debut. First off, how can you not like this guy? I mean, like, he is just such a likable person, I feel like. That ring doorbell video, man. So funny. I know. I enjoyed that way more than you did. So funny. No, it's funny. Beautiful. Yeah, he's literally so good. And, mind you, 
a real contender. So let's get into it. I mean, he's looked great recently. His striking is really smart, and his grappling looks great, and it's very funky, which if, you know, you're not like a big MMA technical fan, funky is a good thing when it comes to scrambling. You want to almost be able to get into any position to get out of any position or get out of any position to get into any position uh, in whatever ways you can. And mind you, he looks for the submission when he's doing that. So it makes him really special. Uh, Jared Gordon, decent wrestling, almost two takedowns of fight. Uh, he has really good boxing as well, which I think is kind of his best skill, I would say. Um, I think with Gordon is his grappling is very defensive. So um, when you think of this guy versus Patty, it's like, Gordon gets into a scramble and thinks, how can I reverse this or how can I get up back to my feet? Where when Patty's in a scramble, he says, how can I take position or how can I submit you? And that's that's such a difference maker in a fight that if it does go to the ground, Patty should be able to take it really easily. And if it's on the feet, Patty's not a very well-proven striker yet in terms of power or in terms of volume but he's shown that when he's in striking exchanges he can stand his ground so this will be more of a test for him uh, striking wise grappling I think he's got it in the bag I'm going with the baddie in his first UFC fight in America on a main card uh in the co-main which is pretty cool good for him uh I don't think it deserves to be on the co-main either Jake I think it's I don't even know if it would co-main a fight night honestly it's really not a fight I'm too interested in but it should be good. It's going to be a good test. Not sleeping on Jared Gordon. His boxing is am- amazing. He is very tough. But I just don't think that it's going to be close. I think Patty can probably win however he wants. I think Patty the Batty is very close to being on the same level as the Diaz brothers in mm. terms of popularity. So where you were saying that this wouldn't even be a co-main on a fight night card, I think this could be a main event on a fight night card. But I agree that for a co-main event on the last pay-per-view of the year, Mm -hmm. I don't think it has that type of placement. I liked it as the third fight before he lost the the light heavyweight championship out. But as the co-main event, I agree with you there. But you're going to know what happens in Las Vegas, man. They're going to go insane. Yeah, they are. For Patty the Batty. As they should. I love it. Yeah, and it's going to feel like that huge co-main event that's a UFC Pay-per-view in Las Vegas to close out the year should feel like. So let me get to my breakdown here, though. Patty the Batty Pimblet, uh, he's super well-balanced as he lands over four significant strikes per minute, and he averages nearly two takedowns per 15 minutes of cage time. Also, his takedown defense isn't terrible at 60%, and his average fight time is really low at 520. Patty the Batty has truly taken the world by storm since joining the UFC. We all knew how good he was in Cage Warriors. And he's since gone 3-0 in the UFC and become one of the promotion's biggest stars. As with any of his fights, though, I think the biggest storyline here is the step up in competition as Jared Gordon will serve as his toughest test to date. For Jared Flash Gordon, six wins by KO, two wins by submission, two first-round submissions. He's a freestyle fighter who trains out of Killcliffe MMA, formerly known as Sanford MMA. His last fight was a decision win over Leonardo Santos at UFC 278. It was a dominant performance on the feet for Flash Gordon as he outstruck Santos 203-41 to in that fight. 
overall, he's 7-4 and four in the UFC, but he's won four out of his last five. Like Pimblet, Gordon is well-rounded with okay takedown defense, a positive striking differential, and he can take fights to the ground as well. Gordon has found success in recent fights on the feet, but I wouldn't be surprised if he shoots some takedowns on Patty if he gets caught at any moment in the fight. Patty the Batty loves turning doubters into believers. As he keeps fighting in the UFC and his opponents get tougher and he takes on more bigger fights with more stake than ever, Patty the Batty is going to have even more doubters to turn into believers. The line for this fight proves that he still has many doubters, but I'm not one of them. Sure, it's his toughest test, and I think Jared Gordon has gone through too much in life not to give Pimblet his best out there, but as seen in his previous tests, I think the Liverpool native gets it done in the co-main event of UFC 282. Yeah, and this is another thing, you know, that I don't want to say that I'm doubting Jared Gordon. Even in his loss versus uh, Grant Dawson, he was winning that entire fight. He was winning the first round, probably won the second round, maybe 10-8, and then uh, he got submitted. And that kind of goes to what I was saying, where in those grappling exchanges, he's more of a defensive fighter and he's not necessarily looking to submit you or he's not looking to take position. He's looking to escape. Uh, so I think that really does help Patty uh, more. But I, I do want to say, like, this guy should like be, like, on a six-fight win streak, realistically. He's really good. I just think Patty's better. And I think Patty is the future um, of UFC, kind of like how you were saying he's like a Nate Diaz. He's He's got star power. I mean, this dude, he's been big for, like, a year now maybe a little over a year, and this is his very first, like, pay-per-view fight. So if that's telling you anything about him, I mean, come on. because he's fought in his hometown. He's fought in the U.K. Now, pay-per-view debut in Las Vegas. Alex, only one question as it refers to this fight, though. Of course, it's going down at lightweight. Patty the Batty, does he get ranked with a win over Flash Gordon? He should. I agree. He should. Well, do you see who the 15th-ranked lightweight in the world is? Is it Conor McGregor? Uh, he's number 14. Oh. Guess number 15. Tony Ferg. Yep. Yeah, I mean, come on, dude. If you don't... Hold on, I, I'm pulling it up. Yeah, he should definitely be in there. I would even put him, like, above... I'd put him, like, within that top, like, close to 10. Honestly, I think he's right there around Dan Hooker, Jalen Turner when I'm looking at it, which I was is 10 thinking, and 11. Yeah, I was thinking right behind Dan Hooker is probably a good spot for yeah. him. Yeah. I would love to see Dan Hooker versus Patty the Batty. That'd be a good fight. That'd be an insane on-the-feet masterclass fight from those guys. But you think Patty the Batty has championship, like, actual aspirations? You think he could be a champion one day? I do. Yeah, I think he could be I think he could be a champion. Obviously, I gotta see a lot more to like right. say he will be a champion. But yeah, I mean he he's very Sean O'Malley-esque skilled, where it's like these guys are coming in who weren't like they never wrestled or they never really did any kind of mixed martial arts. And they just come in and they start training MMA. And then they have like these awesome styles where they're not afraid to strike because they never actually did like Muay Thai kickboxing, boxing. They just did MMA striking. And when it gets to the ground, they like to look for cool things on the ground, which makes them diverse. So, um, yeah, I, I got to see a lot more, but I think it puts him as a contender. It's just pretty hard division to. Uh, win the title in right now but I think he's got time he does have time on his side I don't think he is championship caliber yet for a few reasons one I think he's been kind of catered in the UFC his opponents haven't been super tough and most of his fights have been in London where he has that 
home field advantage. I know that doesn't really exist too much in MMA, certainly with judging in their scorecards, but he hasn't had to go to a scorecard yet in the UFC, I believe. But he has fought in his hometown. He's fought in comfortable circumstances against opponents that aren't the greatest. He has a good skill set, but I think he really has to figure out what he's doing when he's not in training camps. Yeah, I, I agree. His weight issue is a big deal. And it's it's funny because he makes fun of himself, yeah, which it's makes it easy to make fun of everybody else. Um, but it's not good. There is going to be a day he doesn't make weight. It's, it's hard to... I've had to do weight cuts on the weekly because that's how you do it in wrestling. Nothing like he has to do, but making like seven pounds, eight pounds in a week for throughout a season is difficult. For him to be doing these 30, 40-pound cuts all the time, he will mess up one of these days. And uh, something I did want to add is I really wanted to see him fight Terrence McKenney, my boy, first ever UFC fighter I got to talk to. And I think that would be a great matchup, and I still think it would be a really good matchup. So hopefully, if McKenny can get into the top 15, which he should sneak on there, he has a fight coming up pretty soon, uh, that would be another good fight to see. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. And yeah, I agree with like the whole weight thing with Patty Pimblett, too. He has to figure that out. And just seeing the pictures of him bloated to him <laughs> fighting in fight week for the UFC, I mean... Those before and after pictures could be, like, on Weight Watchers or Nutrisystem commercials, man. Like, he has to figure something out, and he has to take care of his body, and not even for a competitive standpoint, but for a duration standpoint. Like, how long is he going to be able to realistically fight if he's tearing up his body the way he is, man? Not long. Not long at all. And for the division he's at, when he's at his weight, he looks good. He, he's not made for welterweight. There's a reason why he puts on weight and he looks the way he does. So he needs to stay 10 pounds above lightweight. That just all time his walk around distance should be, you know, or walk around weight should be like 165. Like he should walk around 165, 170, but he's going up near 200s. I mean, that would be him fighting a guy like Yuri or Alex Pajeda. You don't want to see him fight those guys. He's going to get destroyed I could only imagine <laughs> yeah and lightweight is full of killers I mean if you even think of Patty the Batty Pimblet versus an Islam Akashev or a Charles Oliveira Dustin Poirier I mean there's so many great fighters mm-hmm. in that weight class I think he has some room to improve and like you said one thing he does have on his side is time before we get into the main event though I do want to talk about these circumstances of this main event just a short discussion here of course the main event is Jan Blahovic versus Magomed Ankalaev for the vacant light heavyweight belt. Originally, this was supposed to be the co-main event, and the main event was supposed to be Yuri Prohashka versus Glover Teixeira. Alex, what do you make of this whole thing going on? Of course, Yuri was injured with a shoulder injury, one of the most gruesome injuries in UFC history, it sounds like, but Glover Teixeira getting the short end of the stick. Yeah, first off, I'm really upset about Yuri. I... I, I really like Yuri. He was really growing on me, so I wanted to see him fight again, see what he was made about. Um, but I didn't. Like th- We're talking about a dude who locked himself in a room in the dark for a week and didn't eat food. Like he, And he literally thinks he's a samurai. Like He's a very um, stoic person, and I think that's kind of cool in MMA because you don't see it a lot. You see a lot of tough guys, but he's like a OG Viking-esque, ty- samurai-esque tough guy. Uh, as for Glover... <sighs> Maybe I, I'm the unpopular opinion here, Jake, maybe. But I don't feel bad for him. I, I do think that he deserved the rematch versus Yuri. A hundred percent. But the thing is, Jake, I mean, you talk about 
how he didn't want to take the fight because he didn't have enough time to prepare. Dude's a veteran. He's a veteran fighter. I mean, sure, there was going to be a lot of changes he had to make. Oh, he has to fight a southpaw now. Sure, 100%. But, I mean, we're talking about a UFC where in the past three years, people will take on a fight within the last week. And we're not talking about nobodies. I mean, we're talking about, like, top five guys who could jump in last minute when their name is called. If Glover wanted that title, he could have got it. I don't know why he wants to play the waiting game. He's, you know, he's 40-something-odd years old. He doesn't have much left. He's still looking good at his age, but he could have taken the fight. The circumstances were not good. So I understand that the circumstances weren't good, but it's not like he wasn't offered a fight, and he was in no position. This is my biggest point. He was in no position to pick his fights. He lost the belt, Jake. The, the loser of the belt should not be the ones to, oh, no, I don't want him. I want him. You lost. Okay, so you should be able to take what you get. And he would have had around three weeks to train if he wanted to. A little over two. So it does stink for everybody. I would have loved to see that rematch, but it didn't happen. So There are two reasons why I don't feel bad for Glover Teixeira. I do feel bad for him overall. Same. But same. there are two reasons, like not anything you said, I don't think at least, but two things I think Glover Teixeira is okay with. One – I think he gets the winner of this fight. So he's going he, to get yeah, he's a got championship a year. fight. He's got a year. Like, yeah. Yuri's out for a year with his arm. He's going to be out maybe even longer than that. I mean, yeah. I don't know of shoulder injuries. I've never had one. I've never known somebody that has had one. But this thing sounds gruesome. And Glover Teixeira is going to get the winner of this fight. And he's going to get that championship opportunity. 100%. Number two, what, what else was the UFC supposed to do, man? Like, I personally would have rather seen Jan Blachowicz and Glover Teixeira in this fight. And I think that's the most confusing thing with this whole situation is I think Blachowicz, Teixeira, is a much bigger fight for the vacant light heavyweight title than Blachowicz on Kalaev, which is what we have this Saturday night. But the UFC was put in a very difficult situation that, you know, they were trying to bolster this card. They were trying to get John Jones versus Stipe Miocic on this card, Alex. Yeah. So when they lost the main event for this light heavyweight belt, they they didn't know what to do. So instead, they make this the light heavyweight belt. And if Glover wasn't going to get involved, then they would not have had a true main event. And I could not have imagined the last UFC pay-per-view of the year being a main event between Patty the Batty Pimblet and Jared Flash Gordon. Absolutely you Absolutely know? not. So that, those are two reasons why I don't feel bad for Glover to share it. But ultimately, he is... A company guy, I agree with you, he deserved that title bout. And the biggest reason is he's old, man. Like, I really thought that this fight against Yuri Prohoshka was probably going to be his last, last. whether agree. he won or not. So now, pushing that back, hopefully he's in good shape to continue his MMA journey, can actually fight the winner of this fight going down on Saturday. And if he does win that fight, and Yuri wants to come back, is he going to want to have that rematch with Yuri Prohoshka to end his career. So does this mean that now Glover is going to have two fights instead of just the one to end his MMA career? We'll see how it all unfolds. Those are our thoughts on how this main event went about. But Alex, it's time for the breakdown. It's time for the predictions for the main event of UFC 282, Blahovich Ankalaev. What you got? Yeah, Jake, out of all the fights on the card, my breakdown's the shortest on this one. It's the main event, so it's kind of interesting. But it doesn't mean it's a bad breakdown, Jake. Jan, former champ. Has great striking. He's got a lot of power. He can wrestle when he needs to. Um, Magomed, very 
great striker as well, has really, really good leg kicks, um, does great at moving forward, and he could take you down if he needs to as well. Jake, I heard something this week, and I wish I knew who said it because I'd like to quote him, but uh, they said, in MMA, the winner has options. And I thought that was interesting because when I look at this fight, that's how I feel. I don't even think they were talking about this fight. But I think that Ankalaev has options. Um, he's going to be able to maintain distance well. He has great body kicks. I, I literally can like see how this fight happens in my mind. He, he's gonna, he can body kick him. Jan's going to look dominant in the first round. He's going to come out, look good, because he always does. He, he's good striker. He's great. I'm not downplaying him. He's going to look good. And then somewhere in there, he's going to get a little too close to Magomed because that's what Magomed does. He keeps distance good, so when those guys come in, it's kind of it's kind of over. He's going to hit him with a good body kick or something, and he's going to be able to maybe take him down and destroy him some ground and pound. I don't know. But I just see somewhere in there Jan getting a little too comfortable, and that's where Magomed's going to attack. And the other thing that I haven't seen anybody talk about is Magomed Ankalaev has a great chin. Like, this dude has a really, really good chin. He's never been knocked out in his entire career. He's gotten hit hard many, many times, and his chin doesn't crack. And the thing is, that's how I see Jan winning, is I think Jan would almost have to try to get a knockout. So versus a guy like Magomed, who's really, really good at checking distance. I mean, he literally fought Israel, right? Or, I mean, Jan fought Israel, and... Like, he almost struggled with distance there. He had to take him down many times. So, first a guy like Magomed, who's excellent at keeping distance, well, you get close, now you have to worry about knockout power. And even if you do get in there, like, you're risking yourself trying to knock him out too. So, I think Magomed Ankalaev is really, really good. Um, I think it's awesome how he's a Dagestani guy who loves to strike. Um, that's just so rare. And I think he is a good wrestler from the little bit of wrestling we've seen from him. Uh, we might see a little more in this fight. Who knows? I could be wrong. Maybe Jan's able to get in there and get takedowns easy. Uh, but, yeah, I see Magomed winning here, and I see him being champ for a very long time. Even if Yuri comes back, I don't know if Yuri could beat Magomed. I'm pretty high on him from the fights I watched. I watched pretty much like his last four fights I've watched, uh, and I think he's really good. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Uncle Live here, Jake. It's a great breakdown and a bold statement there for Magomed Ankalaev. I'm, I'm going to say it. I'll, I'll mark my words. Yeah. This time next year, what's the date? December 5th, Magomed Ankalaev will still be champion. I could see it just because I don't even know if Yuri Prohashka is going to be back a year sure. from now. Sure. So I, I could see it, and I think Magomed Ankalaev would even have an advantage over a guy like Gover Teixeira, who would likely be his next opponent mm-hmm. if he can get past the test that is Jan Blahovich this Saturday night. Jan Blahovich, though, in his last fight, it was a third-round KO win over Alexander Rakic. Rakic actually looked good against Jan for the majority of that fight before losing due to injury, thus giving the unceremonious win to Blahovich as he chases uh, the light heavyweight or the light, yeah, the light heavyweight title once again. Uh, Tapology ranked him as the number one overall MMA fighter in 2020 in his quest to get the title, win it and then defend it was pretty impressive. The lightweight division felt lackluster after John Jones departed, and while I give a lot of credit to Yuri Prohashka for rebuilding it, I also give a lot of credit to Polish Power himself. For the Russian Ankalaev, 
10 wins by KO, six first round finishes. He's on a nine fight winning streak since losing his UFC debut to Paul Craig in 2018. His last fight was a second win KO win over Anthony Lionheart Smith. Magomed looks great in that first round of the fight, but of course, he won somewhat unceremoniously as well, like Blahovich did in his last fight. This time, though, it was the leg injury suffered by Smith in that fight. What impresses me most about Ankalaev, and I said this in the UFC 277 podcast, is his fight IQ. He is known mm-hmm. as a finisher, but he never overextends himself in the cage to chase a finish. He puts pressure on his opponents, but is also great at counter-striking and gets a lot of knockouts when his opponents are charging at him. When it comes to wrestling, I also have faith in Ankalaev here. His takedown defense is at 86%, and while he doesn't necessarily like to take fights to the mat himself, weird out of the Dagestanian, like you said, mm-hmm. I think he could find success there as Blahovich doesn't have the greatest background when it comes to defensive wrestling. Honestly, I'm not sure what to do with this fight. Both men are fairly similar in style, but as I said, I could potentially see Magomed taking this fight to the ground. I think Jan has more power in his punches, but I'd likely side with Magomed when it comes to speed, accuracy, and even technique on the feet. Kind of like the main card opener in Mitchell Taporia, I think this is truly kind of a coin flip fight. Ultimately, I'm going with Magomed Ankalaev, though. I know his fights have been less exciting recently, but he's still such an intelligent fighter that I think he'll be able to find a way to win on Saturday night to claim the vacant light heavyweight gold. Yeah, a couple of things, Jake. You know, you mentioned this loss to Paul Craig uh, back in 2018. He lost in the third round, the last round of the fight, with one second left, Jake. So his only loss on his career to Paul Craig was from triangle choke at 4 minutes and 59 seconds in the fight. So if that tells you anything, uh, another thing I talked about a while ago is I have a rule where I will never guess, I will never predict a fighter who's 10 years younger where Magomed's 30 years old and Jan is 39. So it's not 10 years, but it's close. And uh, the other thing that has to do with absolutely nothing is I have a lot of um, Polish roots in me. So it's kind of kind of sad that I'm betting against Jan because he's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're blood like that in a sense. You know what I mean? We're both, we're both Polacks. Yeah. So. You, feel a, a, you feel a connection to the Polish power, uh, Jan Blachowicz, Alex? I do. You know, I I take some pride in my my Polish heritage, but uh, yeah, I don't see Jan winning. So Jan really should just make that his his nickname. <laughs> Neither men in this uh, main event have a nickname. Oh, I didn't know Interesting. that. Interesting. Yeah, just Jan Blahovich, Magomed Ankalaev. Yeah. No nickname. Yeah, it should be Jan Polish Power uh, Blahovich. Yeah, that's what it should be. That's a good nickname. But usually, this is the part of the podcast, Alex. We're wrapped up. We have all of our predictions out there, and I usually ask you to run through your predictions, but. This is where the twist comes into play because, as many of you guys know listening, you might not really care about, you know, our school schedule. This is the University of Akron. We are students here, Alex, and we are ending the semester. Of course, the UFC is ending their year in pay-per-views. So after UFC 282, their next pay-per-view is going to be in mid to late January. We agreed to reset the rankings after this podcast And we're actually going to have a third member of WZIP Sports, a member joining WZIP Sports, be a part of future podcasts. So with those two things in consideration, we're wiping the rankings and we will have a winner after UFC 282. That's all correct, right, Alex? Sure. But the current rankings, Alex, Mm -hmm. 
You're 36 and 14. I'm 31 and 19. What that means is I have no chance to win. But what that does mean is that I have a chance to tie. So that's what I'm going for. So I have to make a gentleman's, gentleman's agreement with you, Alex. And there's one fight I am not changing my pick on. And I think you know what that is. Robbie Lawler, Santiago Ponzinibbio. Mm-hmm. There's no chance I'm picking Robbie Lawler in that fight. So if you're willing to change your pick on that fight, I'll change my picks on the other fights to make sure that we have four disagreements or five disagreements that way I can tie you. I don't know, Jake. Actually, in a in a sense, I almost want to change my Bryce Mitchell pick just so you almost have no chance to even tie me. Well, if you change your <laughs> Bryce Mitchell pick, we both picked Toporia. So if you pick Mitchell, that'll help me. Well, if he wins, then you'll have no chance. So, but what know. I'm saying is I will change all of my picks okay. except for the Robbie Lawler-Santiago Pizzanibio fight, and we actually disagreed on the Till and Duplessis fight, so I wouldn't have to change that. Sure, sure, sure. So I would change my pick from Taporia to Mitchell, and I would change my pick from Patty the Batty Pimblet to Jared Gordon, and I would change my pick to or from Magomed Ankalaev to Jan Blahovic if you agree to just change your pick from Santiago Ponsonibio to Robbie Lawler. Just for the chance at a tie, Alex. You can't lose. It's just for the chance of a tie. Uh, I mean, dude, Robbie Lawler is not going to win. <laughs> but I have to change three of my picks. Three of my researched, well-intelligent picks, Alex. I have to change three of those. Jake, let me tell you, man. You have to change one. If your picks are so researched and so good, then this situation would have never had to happen. So you got no deal. No deal. No deal. I want to win dominantly going into the new year, Jake. And maybe you'll have a chance next year when when Mitch comes in. But you probably won't either. And neither will he. Because I'm the, the, obviously, like, the most intelligent MMA picker. I'm obviously, like, I'm the, I'm I'm a wise man. I'm sitting on a mountain with tea, sitting crisscross applesauce, massaging my beard, thinking about my picks daily. Doing research on my laptop. I can just, like, see the ego in you building up to the top <laughs> as you're talking right now, Alex. No deal, Jake. Fine. I'm, I'm going to do the deal by myself then. I'm changing all my picks. <laughs> okay. Not all of them. Drick is 2 plus C. I'm sticking with that because you went with there until. And um, Yeah, I'm not even confident on that fight, honestly. But Other than that, I, I have to do it. Even though that means I'm picking <laughs> Robbie Lawler at 40 years old. <laughs> Dude, I'm not picking him. No shot. Yeah, but you had to change one. I had to change three. Nah. I thought it was fair. You don't want to do the gentleman's agreement, so now I'm forced against the wall. And I have to do it. Like, what is there for me to gain? Having a better record? That does me nothing. I want to at least have the chance to tie with you. Well, Jake, if there's any OG SBTOT people listening right now, they know that we're going to be tight in fantasy football, and you might be able to beat me. And I don't want you to have that bragging right against me, so I at least want to have this. That's fair. But I am still doing what I need to do to at least tie but without further ado, I respect you for that. Alex, go through your picks, and then I'll go through my adjusted picks okay. based on what you're going to go. Through. Yeah, uh, I'm going Ilya Tuporia. Obviously, Bryce Thug Nasty Mitchell. He's one of my favorites. And honestly, something I always talk about, um, 
he's a dog. He does have the dog in him. He's got that Brandon Moreno dog. So I can very well see him winning. I just don't think it'll happen. Uh, Darren Till, I'm picking him over Dricus Duplessis. It's an interesting fight. Uh, if Darren Till wins this fight, he might go back on the right track, but we'll see. I'm picking Santiago Ponzinibbio. Ponzinibbio, thank you, <laughs> um, to beat Robbie Lawler. Maybe send him into retirement. I got Patty the Batty Pimplet in the co-main, and I got Magomed Ankalaev as the new champ versus Jan. So my adjusted picks, I originally sided with you as well for Ilya El Matador Toporia. Instead, now I'm going with Bryce Thug Nasty Mitchell, the best rapper in UFC history, yes, as sir. you said. <laughs> and honestly, I'm fine with being on that side. This is a fight that I don't care to change my pick. Hey, that's I think a good Thug, pick. I think Thug Nasty <laughs> could wrestle this one out to win, so I'll go with Thug Nasty Mitchell. Uh, next up, I don't have to change my pick for this one. I'm going Drickus, still knocks Duplessis. I think he gets a win over Darren Till, who has not won a fight in over four years. And then I got to go with ruthless, ruthless Robbie Lawler to beat Santiago, the Argentine dagger, Ponzinibbio. I hate doing it, but I have to do it. Robbie Lawler, I mean, shock the world on Saturday. That'd be pretty nice. <laughs> Co-main event, had to change my pick here as well. I originally with, with, went with Patty the Batty Pimblet. I don't like changing this fight. But now I am on the side of Jared, Jared Flash Gordon because I'm going for that tie. And then main events, I went with Magomed Ankalaev. I agreed with you. But now I'm on the side of the Polish power man himself, Jan Blachowicz. Try to get those five disagreements. <laughs> if all five fights go my way, Alex, we will be tied. Well, Jake, you know, I never thought I'd see the day where you pick Bryce Mitchell and I don't. And then yeah. you pick Robbie Lawler <laughs> to win a fight. I never thought this day would come. So this is a, uh, it's kind of sad. It's almost wa- like watching a broken man, you know, try to have his last grasp. It's all I have left, man. In in his life, his last fighting. The saddest know. part is it's just for a tie. It's yeah. like <laughs> if, the, if this actually happens, Alex, I'm going to go insane. But we'll we'll tie. There's not going to yeah. be a winner. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because we've had a lot of fights that we predicted, just not count because of injuries or the fights falling through or something happens in the fight where we don't like to count it against our record. But Mm -hmm. nonetheless, that's going to be it. That is going to do it for us. The UFC crew from WZIP sports. I hope you enjoyed this podcast for the last UFC pay-per-view of 2022. Personally, I think I'll get excited for the main event as the week goes on, but the rest of the card from top to bottom is must-see action. Joining me for this week's edition of SBTOT was... Alex Henry. And I'm Jake Murren. If you made it to this part of the podcast, we truly appreciate you and hope you subscribe, download, and share to all episodes of SPT Overtime. Enjoy the fights, everyone, and Alex and I will see you next time for more UFC action.